Hi, I'm Joe Floyd. And I'm Doug Landis. And welcome to the Merchant's Playbook monthly recap for the month of September. Today, we're going to talk about a few topics. We're going to let you know what's been going on at Emergence. We're going to talk about public market news and M&A. And we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the private markets in terms of fundraisings. And then we're going to wrap up with our favorite section, Doug's Deep Dive, where we talk deeply on a sales, an enterprise sales topic. Perfect. So let's dive in with Emergence News. Doug, what did we do this month? Well, I mean, look, there's there's a couple things that I am extremely fired up about. Number one, we invested in a company called Guru. If you go to www.getguru.com. Guru is really exciting for us for a number of reasons. Number one, I've known Rick, the founder and CEO, for a good four or five years right now as it stands. Rick actually started a company called Boomi, sold it to Dell. This is his second iteration of a technology startup. And we're really excited because it kind of falls under our one of our thesis around this, this nation, notion of coaching cloud. Um, just for a little context, Guru is a knowledge management solution. So they're a knowledge management platform that helps to keep customer-facing teams, so sales and specifically customer success, really up to date with the most relevant and consistent information. So it's a Chrome plugin. So no matter where you are on any screen, it's actually recommending information to you to help solve problems for your customers or your prospects. Really, really, really cool technology that we're really excited about. Partially, the reason why we're excited about it is because it fits into our coaching cloud kind of thesis, right? And coaching cloud for us is, it's kind of our AI ML pillar, if you will. And we believe that AI and ML technology is the next iteration of SaaS. Uh, to be totally frank, in terms of the value that it provides and the use cases that are available. And, the, and, and if you think about it, everybody is, you know, quote unquote, AI or ML enabled, which is kind of scary because there's a lot, there's a wide range of kind of, we'll call it AI use cases or technology. In fact, you led an investment in one of our other AI oriented companies. Just to kind of, as a quick snapshot, the thesis around Coaching Cloud is we believe Coaching Cloud companies use machine learning to help coach individuals to perform their tasks better as they perform it. That's a lot different than, you know, um, using AI for automation to eliminate tasks, right? We fundamentally believe that actually you can use technology to make humans smarter, better, faster at what they do um, using technology. And Guru is a perfect example of that. So that's why we're really excited about that. Awesome, so we put in, we, we, we led a series A, it was nine million. And the company is based in Philly. Do you want to talk a little bit about why that might be a, an awesome advantage for Guru? Yeah, well, I mean, look, I think there, there's there's good and bad, right, from Philly. I think they've got access to a ton of talent out there that is pretty untapped. It's an untapped market, unlike out here in San Francisco, where it's incredibly competitive and they've expensive. Got, they've got Penn, they've got Carnegie Mellon, they've got a few great technical programs. Yes, lots of great developers out there. They can build their infrastructure out there, and then uh, the plan is to build a sales office out here in, in San Francisco. So they're kind of having the best of both worlds, starting in Philly. It's also more cost-effective in Philly. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you know, one other uh, one other investment we made is actually a follow-on in a in a fund one company called Bill.com which helps companies automate accounts receivable and accounts payable. And it's amazing to have watched this company now for 12 years. 12 years. <laughs> so Fund One was started 12 years ago. Well, Fund One was started 13, 14 years ago. But, uh, wow. but this company, was in, we made the investment, I think, back in 2005. And the CEO, Rene Lassert, founder and CEO, has been there the entire time. An amazing journey. And he signed an incredible partnership with JP Morgan. And as part of that partnership, JP Morgan wanted to invest and, and the insiders also wanted to do their pro rata. And so just an amazing situation though to watch 
a startup from its earliest days where it's struggling to go directly to get individual customers to suddenly getting one of the biggest companies in the world by market cap to want to be a channel partner for you and distribute you to all of their you know, hundreds of thousands of small businesses. And to have Jamie Dimon send you as CEO of this company a personal email saying, I'm so fired up to work with you was just a really cool moment for Jamie the Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, sent Renee an email. Yeah, he knows. He, That's we're, awesome. We're on the map. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. That's amazing. And, I, and from what I remember, or from what I heard, when we made the investment in Bill.com, Renee said specifically, like, I'm ready to do this for the next 15, 20 years. Yeah, be um, careful what you wish for. Yeah, because right, there you go. That's for sure. But congrats to that whole team. It's just an amazing, amazing journey to have been a part of and watched. Indeed. One other piece of news here at Emergence that we're extremely excited about is we just added my good friend, Viviana Faga, as the operating partner at Emergence. She just started just a few weeks ago. For those of you that don't know her, she is an absolute badass marketer. She was early days VP of marketing at Salesforce, was the VP of marketing at Yammer, was the CMO at Zenefits. She was also the VP of marketing at Platfora. She's just got so much enterprise marketing experience. It's amazing. And she's just a fantastic human being. I think she's going to add a ton of value to our team, not only to help us as a firm figure out how to better market ourselves so more and more people understand who we are and the value that we bring, but also to our portfolio companies, helping them think through all the different challenges of, you know, whether it's demand gen or product marketing or brand awareness. There's so many areas that she can touch on that, that I, I can touch on from like the 40,000 foot view. She can get really tactical. So it's going to be a great I think the, the two of us together, I think it'd be a fun little one-two punch for our, our porcos. Yeah, we're really excited to have Viviana. And as listeners to this podcast, once she gets her fingers on, on the marketing angle, she's going to improve the quality and we're, you're going to start to get some production value. So mm-hmm. look forward to that too. For sure. So that's it for Emergence. Let's, uh, let's dive into what's going on in the enterprise world more broadly. First, we'll talk some public market news. I thought this was fascinating, even though it's not an enterprise-specific company, Kick. It's a social networking company that, that really specializes in the messaging layer. They raised $100 million through an initial coin offering. So what does that mean? They, did they offer their, their stock on Bitcoin or? So, so very close. So they, they, what they did is they set a valuation of a billion dollars and they raised $50 million from institutional investors and then $50 million they opened up to anybody who wanted to exchange Ether, so on, on the Ethereum network, for Shares, shares in there. Well, wow. technically, it's a it's a token called Kick, I think, or something like that, that represents an equity ownership in this company. Wow. And it's fascinating for a few reasons. I mean, ICOs are are almost like 1999 all over again. I mean, we saw in the second quarter, ICOs raised 600 million, almost entirely unregulated, at eye popping valuations. Companies that have nothing more than an idea are raising 200 million worth of ether, and you're just wondering, like, how is this going to end? <laughs> and I, I will not prognosticate, so I don't want to put a bullseye on my, on my head, but I will say it does fundamentally make you and I have to think about what is going to happen to the future of venture capital. Right, right. So really interesting just initial coin offering. Well, I think, I mean, look, I think that's been kind of happening with the likes of all the different Kickstarter funds and all the you know, the, the individual funds that are allowing individuals to actually invest in, mm-hmm. in, in companies outside of you know, VCs, Yeah, this is like another channel to do that, it feels like. It's another channel, but it's also the scale. I mean, you're talking about there are only a handful of funds in the world that could have written a $100 million check by themselves. Yeah. And now somebody can tap, you know, a vast network of people who are all contributing a little bit, but do it in a super efficient way that doesn't involve 
going to a, an investment banking firm and going through this rigorous process. It's both exciting and scary. That's that's crazy. If you want to read about it, just check them out. They're Kik, K-I-K. Yep. I had to look that up. Cool. What else and, happened in the public markets? Yeah, I'd say it was actually a relatively quiet time period for companies reporting, particularly in the enterprise world. But two notable ones that, that stuck out to me, you know, Okta, which went public earlier this year, they actually, they just had their lockup expire and they had a fantastic earnings announcement for their second quarter as being a public company. Stock traded up 12%, very strong beat and raise for a company that, you know, it's just perfect timing for them to just yeah. be hitting on all cylinders. So That's it's great. Really Congratulations to those guys. I imagine quite a few people cashed out at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting in that space, though, if you think about it too, is is I just read Secure Auth is another uh, Okta competitor, which just actually acquired for two hundred and fifty million or two hundred twenty five million by an investment banking firm. Really, really interesting. So there's definitely a lot of movement happening in that space. Yeah. For sure. Another company that had an interesting earnings announcement was Guidewire. They had a strong beat above consensus estimates, and their stock jumped about ten percent. It's interesting to see because. It's an industry cloud company focused on the insurance vertical, and it's great to see another industry cloud company other than Viva out there really carrying that mantle and showing other software companies that they can focus on industry vertical and be extremely successful. Yeah, I mean, that's actually part of our mantra as a firm, right, is to all of our portcos, focus, 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 focus. Right. As Gordon as Gordon Ritter likes to say, none of this peanut butter approach, try and be <laughs> all things to everybody. The more hyper-focused that you can be, I think the more successful that you can really be. Right? Then you can you know, layer the cake, if you will, add on additional products like Aviva. Absolutely. So let's jump into M&A. So what did we see this month uh, in terms of interesting M&A? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a pretty quiet month for enterprise M&A. In particular, the one company that I saw, what I think is interesting, is this company called Itrion. And they acquired a company called Silver Springs Network, or Silver Springs Networks. What's interesting about this, and it was for $948 million. Itrion is a traditional utilities, gas, water, electric company. Silver Spring Networks is a smart grid technology company. So what we're seeing in this space in the utility space is a consolidation. These old school utility companies are having to buy smart grid IoT companies because they realize they need a different value proposition. If they wanna to continue to expand and grow, they're getting disrupted by yep. these smart grid companies. They need to start to ingest them into their ecosystem and this is a perfect example of that starting to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's great to see traditional companies realizing they need to be more tech forward. They need to incorporate software to make themselves better and make themselves have longevity. So love it. Well, the amount of sensors that live out there around, you know, in all of our equipment and all of our gear is just only going to continue to expand. Totally. Not M&A yet, but our friends Social Capital down in Palo Alto, they took a company public, a shell company. It's called a special, special Purpose Acquisition Corporation. And the sole purpose of this shell company was to raise $600 million in an initial public offering so that it could then buy technology companies. Maybe tech companies that are unicorns or sunicorns but don't want to go public the traditional route. So it's really fascinating to see that happen, this new type of financing happen. And why would a company not want to go public in the traditional route? Is well, it because they're, they, maybe the revenue's slowing down yeah. or the market's slowing down? Like what, what would cause them to want to go this route versus yeah, going IPO? I'd say there's two, there's two rationales for wanting to go this route. One is they just don't want to deal with Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs and the traditional dog and pony show yeah. of going public. I mean, it is a huge distraction and there are huge fees involved. Yeah. Or the second is, 
you know, maybe their metrics don't quite line up with what those investment banks want when they take them out to their traditional hedge fund base or the traditional fidelities of the world. So, but there are a lot of other people who provide capital who are more interested in, you know, maybe a stable growth business that's 100 million of revenue but is growing 20% a year. And yeah, they want to pay three to five X ARR instead, but this provides those you know, another type of avenue for that financing. What I think is particularly interesting though is you know most special purpose acquisition corps are they raise between two, three hundred, maybe four hundred, and social capital raised six hundred and the, and according to Chamath, they were extremely oversubscribed and were able to raise this money very quickly. It's interesting to see the market demand is there for yeah. this type of profile. Yeah. Well yeah, if you think about it too, there's so many people that can't get access to the likes of the slacks of the world that are going public or even the octas, right? Or yeah. box when we went out. This kind of creates a different market opportunity for those companies that are the next tier below. We'll, we'll call those kind of unicorns or those, those top tier yeah, um, sure. companies. It's really, yeah. really interesting. Really interesting. And between this and, and the ICOs, I mean, you're seeing new novel ways for tech companies to raise non-traditional financing. So yeah. it's very interesting yeah. to see. And provide some liquidation for their investors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So now let's go back to the traditional financing. So what do we see in enterprise, uh, you know, venture rounds? It's almost. I feel like every other month there's something about Slack that's coming out. They what they what did they do? They raised another 250 million dollars in their Series G from SoftBank. What is SoftBank's Vision Fund? This hundred billion dollar fund that is just writing massive checks to take huge chunks of these kind of. We'll call them decacorn companies, right? If you think yep. about it. Why they raise the money, I, I don't really know. Maybe the money was cheap. Or maybe it's because they've got more and more competition. I, you know, I don't yeah. really know. But certainly some, some news. And yeah. to all my friends over there at Slack, congratulations. Yeah. Sets them up nicely. So, you know, I saw, I took a look at the, at the financings in September and I saw a very clear trend of companies, or I should say enterprise software companies that are helping the biggest companies in the world take advantage of big data. And I think what we saw five years ago was we saw a clear trend in the, I guess the infrastructure technology layer. So whether that was Hadoop or Spark or something like that. And now we're seeing people package it and deliver it as a service to make it really easy for the end customers to adopt. MParticle raised 35 million. They're really a customer data ingestion or ETL layer that's helping mm. to, to take information from the 10 SaaS companies or the 10, the 10 sources of data you might have and just easily put them into one place so you can analyze it. Mm. You have uh, Vexata, which is an infrastructure company that raised 54 million to help with, you know, big, help companies manage their big data. You have Snowflake, only, only been around two or three years, raise a hundred million <laughs> and to compete with you know Amazon's Redshift as a new database layer that can that can be highly performant in the, in, in a big data world. And then this all falls on the heels of Databricks last month raising 140 million for, for data science to be able to, to help companies manage their data pipelines and incorporate data science into their applications. I mean this is an incredible amount of capital all going into kind of one thesis. And it's really interesting to see it. Yeah, I mean, those sirens in the background, I think we're in indicative of what's going on in this space. I mean, <laughs> anything that's big data connected is just getting massive amounts of funding. Because it's, I mean, if you think about it, every company is just creating more and more and more and more data on a daily basis. Being able to analyze that, being able to, to capture it, analyze it, and make some real, identify some real insights mm -hmm. as a result of the data is, it's kind of one of those situations that could make or break your organization, your company. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting to see how quickly these companies can get traction. Most of them start as open source projects. They get, mm -hmm. they get if they become the open source winner, then it's a no-brainer for them to commercialize it, put some services around it, and company, you know, VCs will fund it at a very rapid, you know, J-curve. So it's really interesting to see. So much money. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's toggle over to the Doug deep dive. Today we're going to talk about win-loss tracking. Let's start with why should you, why should a company in their sales and marketing organization, why should they track wins and losses and, and, and the reasons why? Yeah, well, listen, win-loss analysis, if you're listening right now, start this project, start it ASAP. I think the reality is this win-loss analysis is a company-wide initiative, it's not just a sales initiative, because we're gonna get so much insight from our customers and prospects. It can help tell the product team where to, where, where to invest, it can help marketing, whether or not their messaging is actually on target, and it can certainly help sales to identify the, kind of the big gotchas that they're gonna have to consider. I think the challenge with win-loss analysis is everybody assumes that they are know the answers to these questions like why did we win or lose the business why were we selected over our competitors how are we perceived in the marketplace how does our value proposition align with our prospects and customers needs how are we differentiated I think we all assume that we know those answers and if you were to ask somebody in marketing I'm sure of course they know those um, if you were to ask somebody in sales, maybe it's like, oh, it's my salesmanship. But the reality is that's all bullshit until you actually know from your customers. Yeah. So this is why you need to do this win-loss analysis because it's going to help to give you the insight on you know, are your, on your messaging, your perception, your, your competition, your value proposition, and whether or not you can better align sales and marketing and how to fine tune SWOT analysis. There's so many great little nuggets that you can get out of these conversations. Sure. So, what, so what sort of questions should you be asking? Well, yeah, so there's, there's a couple things that I think are really important. If you're gonna to talk to your customers about win-loss, I, I wanna kind of, there's one you have to put an institute of framework, right? And one is that we'll call it the pre-interview framework, which is, hey, how are we gonna identify the customers or prospects that we wanna interview? Mm-hmm. And then we have the interview framework itself, which is a series of 10 to 15 questions you wanna ask. And then the post-interview process, which is what are we gonna do with this data once we actually get it? How do we validate it? What, what, what insights are we looking for? When it comes to the actual interview process, well, there's two things. Number one, I think this should be a cross-functional team. Marketing, sales, sales leadership, customer success, even product for that matter, to do these interviews. And identifying your, the customers you want to talk to, be really thoughtful about it. Don't just pick your happiest customers. Pick the ones that maybe their usage, their usage rates are really, really low. Pick mm-hmm. the ones that are maybe there's a, their potential to actually churn. Yeah. What about the ones that you've lost, like lost opportunities? Absolutely, lost 100% lost opportunities. Those are a little harder because you know they have a tendency of like, look, I'm done with that. I'm, I've moved on. So if you're going to do this, identify the companies you just lost to right away, yeah. or at least most recently. Additionally, when you're at when you're in the interview process, I think one of the things that's important to identify because you've got you're talking to the customers is what was that moment in time that allowed them to shift from you know just kicking the tires to actually making a purchase, right? Because there's usually a trigger moment, a, a compelling event, and a lot of times we don't actually really know what those are. And even if we lost the deal, you still want to know what that compelling event was. What was that moment in time that actually caused them to say, "Okay, now I'm ready to buy," mm-hmm. and you want to compile a list of those from your customers. Additionally, you want to ask them questions like, well, what other companies were in this competitive mix? Why were we included in this mix? Why did we win the business, of course? Ask about the decision-making process. Who was involved? What was the selection criteria? What was their perception of the quality of the sales team, the sales engagement? What is the, the customer's perception of the value that they're actually getting from the product versus what they thought they were going to get. Sure. A lot of times there's a huge gap there. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dig into the implementation. 
right? How did that actually meet their expectations? And then again, you always want to kind of align it to what they thought they were getting, right? Sure. You know, I think there's other things you can get into, like would they be comfortable actually recommending us to somebody else? Would they be comfortable doing a reference call or a customer story? Yeah. So I mean, lots of stuff that you can get just from this win-loss analysis. And those are critical. I mean, getting customer testimonials. Absolutely. Having the marketing rights to go do it, especially at an early stage. So, so I imagine, you probably, most companies probably need to do this sooner than they actually think. Like, Absolutely. When is the right time? Now. Now, okay. <laughs> the right time is if you haven't done this before, do it now. Okay. Put this top of the list. Okay. Because, you know, a lot of people think it's like, well, I can do a survey. I can do an online survey. It's like, eh, you know, you won't, you, wanna, you won't get the same level. You're not going to get the same level of yeah. details. And yes, you can look into your product, but the reality is, is reps have a tendency of not putting in the competitors that they lose, that they have a tendency of lose, losing to, right? Mm -hmm. They just kind of put lost, no decision, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Not like lost to you know, Microsoft or whoever, or yep. Amazon, yep. two people that we always tend to, everybody <laughs> seems to lose to. And so, so validate what you get from your customers with the data that you have in Salesforce. Even maybe do a survey to different people and see if there's some, some consistency that you see. Sure. You know, some looking for some signals or some patterns. But it's all about the interviews first and foremost. Okay. Awesome. Win-loss analysis. Do it now. Hugely valuable. Right. Hugely valuable. Let's wrap. This has been a, an interesting monthly session. I'd say one little trend we've noticed in the VC world. Uh, <laughs> Lots of people wearing Allbirds. Yes, from what I hear. So the funny thing is, apparently we have some people in our firm wearing them. I'm wearing them right now. You're wearing them right now? Oh my gosh, look at that. I just learned what they were yesterday. Okay. <laughs> what, who are, what are they? What do they do to help our listeners understand? They're just really comfortable sneakers that look somewhat passable for dress shoes. Mm. So yeah, are they made of wool or something? They, they are. They're made of. They're made of wool. Aren't they um, warm? They're breathable. Oh, well, it's like they're ninety degrees. They're, they're breathable. They're almost like Nike Freeze, but then uh, a little bit better looking. Right. And so I think the the thesis is they go really well with your with your Patagonia vest. Oh which, gosh, which every, which every VC has. To wear. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So <laughs> so apparently they raised seventeen and a half million dollars in Series B funding. That's probably amazing. by VCs who wear all birds and vests. Of course, <laughs> all birds and vests. <laughs> I'm gonna throw out another company since we're in the shoe conversation sure. that I love that I wear. It's a company called Time Slippers. Funny enough, it sounds like they're slippers, but they're not. That's because they feel like they're slippers, uh, but they're not actually slippers. You wear them out. Wear them when I ride my one wheel, my electric skateboard. I'm such a little hipster VC guy. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> on the insides, they're made of like yoga mat material. Oh. So if you're on your feet a lot, if you're going to conferences and check them out, the men's and women's, they're so comfortable. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Cool. That's a wrap. Thanks. Uh, thanks for tuning in. You stay sassy.